you may be familiar with the term attachment theory. If so, you might also be aware that most narcissistic abuse survivors end up either as fearful avoidant or anxious avoidant when it comes to attachment style or anxious type attachment styles. There are a few things you can do if you're dealing with this. Number one, be willing and able to focus on figuring out your childhood traumas. Two, you're going to want to work really hard on learning to create and maintain appropriate boundaries. This one's tough for us. We are often people pleasers. You might also have a little bit of trouble figuring out who's on your side and who's not, as in who's going to use you and who's actually there for you. So you're going to want to do your research and find out exactly what are the red flags and what are the things you need to think about. Attachment is defined as a deep and enduring emotional bond that connects one person to another person. Attachment theory basically helps us to understand our relationships and how our relationships with our mothers could affect us and our lifelong development and even our relationships with others in really profound ways. In psychology, attachment theory as we know it today was first originated in 1958 when psychiatrist John Bowlby recognized the importance of a child's relationship with their mother. It turns out he realized that our emotional, social, and cognitive development are directly affected by our attachment to our mothers. You know, if you were raised by a narcissist, something kind of crazy happens. No matter what they do to you, no matter how much they abuse you, you don't stop loving them. You stop loving yourself. In fact, almost any personality flaw that you have, including codependency, which might have led you to be in a toxic relationship as an adult, can be traced back to your childhood. One of the best ways to begin to heal yourself is to become the parent you should have had instead of the one you did have. Become that parent for yourself. Now, along with fellow researcher James Robertson, Bowlby found that children who were separated from their mothers would experience extreme distress. This would lead them to anxiety. And they assumed that this might have been related to the idea that their mothers fed and cared for them. But then they noticed that the separation anxiety would not diminish even when the kids were fed and cared for by other caregivers. Now, before this, the reason they thought this was because other researchers had sort of underestimated the bond between the child and the mother and assumed that the feeding of the infant was the thing that bonded the mother and the child. Well, Bowlby was the first to propose that attachment might be an evolutionary thing, as in the child's caregiver is obviously the person who provides the child with safety, security, and food. So he thought being attached to the mother would increase a baby's chance of survival. Children become adult codependents or SLDs mm -hmm. or pathological narcissist. And uh, I rely on attachment theory in order to explain the process. Actually, narcissists do have avoidant attachment styles. Grandiose narcissists tend to be dismissive avoidant. Coverts are often avoidant fearful. And ironically, people who tend to be people pleasers are also in the fearful avoidant attachment style a lot of the times. And that makes a lot of people think they are the narcissist when they're not. So it's kind of a an interesting theory. It is just attachment theory, of course. Simply attachment theory explains that our psychological health or ill health is caused by the manner in which we were loved, respected, and cared for during our critical ages of development between birth and up to eight years old. Mm -hmm. And if we endure psychological harm, abuse, neglect, mental manipulation, or we are deprived or neglected or abandoned, we don't get to attach to a uh, nurturing parent figure. And without that attachment, we don't develop the potential to be healthy, high-functioning adults. 
So if you were raised by a narcissist and loved conditionally and, and had to mold yourself into the type of trophy the narcissist needed in order to get anything, and you will have not experienced positive and nurturing attachment, and that will have impact on your psychological health in your adulthood will also have impact on the relationship choices that you make as an adult. And so attachment theory explains through my human magnets in her book, why SLDs or codependents always choose narcissists because they only experience that type of love because they respond to and are attracted to people that fit what I call the, the relationship template that that they experienced in their childhood. And that's how chemistry is. If a oh. child who was brought up by a pathological narcissist and who did not attach in a way that would be healthy is going to find the narcissist as familiar and paradoxically safe because they know and have experienced their whole life living with that person and they know what to do. Human magnet syndrome is a very interesting term. And I'm, I'd really love for you to kind of just explain sure. a little bit about what mm -hmm. that means. Well, the human magnet syndrome, as you can see from the book cover, and I mm -hmm. love it. It's, it's really it's, nice. Um, it's hearts that are that are coming together and trapped within barbed wire. But more more specifically, I came up with the term to explain why codependents or SLDs predictably, reflexively fall in love with narcissists and the same. A lot of people think narcissists must only go for people who are easy to manipulate. Maybe they're not all that smart. Maybe they're kind of slow, or you know, they just don't have it going on. Or maybe they're weak because. In our minds, we think narcissists must be looking for people who are weak, right? Because they want someone they can control, someone they can overcome, overpower, be the boss of. But here's the shocker. That's actually the opposite of true. The first thing I would ask you to think about is the possibility that maybe it's not that you're attracting more narcissists than other people, but maybe you're letting them stay longer than other people would. And this could have to do with something in your childhood or a lack of self-esteem or a number of things all related back usually to what I would call a high threshold for abuse. You usually get one of those because you doubt yourself a lot and narcissists are really good at making us doubt ourselves. I would ask you to consider that possibility first. Someone who makes them look good someone who looks good on their arm, or someone who everyone around them might feel jealous of them forgetting. A very attractive woman, a very attractive man, someone who the narcissist can get their hooks into and feel an ownership of, and also someone very physically attractive, common, or someone who has accomplished something that the narcissist can kind of glom onto and be part of. Someone who makes them look and feel like they're a better person for being involved with that person. And I find it interesting how often I look at our Spanily members the people in our support groups, people here on YouTube, and I see how beautiful everyone is. Narcissists are not into slow people or unintelligent people or unattractive people. So if you have found yourself with a narcissist, chances are you're probably attractive as well as intelligent and probably stronger than you thought because narcissists love a challenge. Narcissists want someone who has characteristics maybe they don't have or who owns certain qualities or certain things that they want. Maybe that person has certain talents that the narcissist admires or that person has certain character traits that the narcissist wants or thinks that other people want. Or maybe that person is really, really good looking and the narcissist feels like they could be some sort of trophy. Or maybe that person's really strong-willed and they really know what they want in life and they have all the things happening that are moving them in that direction. They're someone who in general tend to impress people they meet. They really want to kind of stand in that person's light. Narcissists themselves are naturally dark people, as in they 
don't have this inner light to shine out and, and share with the world. And so what do they want? They want to consume the light that you have. Personally, I think that narcissists who meet amazing people like you and who manage to get you under control, who manage to manipulate you and gaslight you and make you think you're not good enough or make you think you're crazy or whatever it is they're trying to make you think, they see you as a challenge, you see. They feel more accomplished if they're able to actually stop you from feeling good about yourself, from feeling like you are strong-willed. And yet, of course, on the flip side of that, they also find themselves feeling like they're not as attracted to you when you are broken. So what I mean is they might see you like a wild horse that needs to be tamed and broken. And that might be very attractive to them. But once they actually do tame and break you, suddenly they're bored with you. They've got nothing else to say, nothing else to do. They're done. Sound familiar? Bottom line, whatever it is that the narcissist likes about you, they will inevitably try to destroy that thing in you. Talking about attachment theory, it is the mm -hmm. matching of relationship templates. If someone understands to love someone and to be loved, you have to be silent, acquiescent, constantly vulnerable and moldable, and just be constantly interested in a person who's not interested in you. And that is just the way you understand relationships. And then a narcissist who understands relationships is that people want to hear what they have to say. They want to enjoy their accomplishments. They want to be told how great one, a person is, which of course is not true, but that's what narcissists think. So if you think about when the two people meet, they're opposites. One gives away all of what I call love, respect, and caring. And one needs all the love, respect, and caring. And these two opposites through this unconscious process, chemistry, come together almost all the time. Codependents, SLDs, will almost always be attracted to through chemistry to a narcissist and narcissist to a codependent. And that pull is the attraction process of two people feeling so comfortable, like a dance partnership. The mm -hmm. leader needs a follower, the follower needs a leader, and the recognition of that on unconscious levels brings them together like two magnets. It's completely possible to miss someone and to still understand that you really deserve better. Don't forget. Do you think it's a coincidence that a lot of people who were raised by narcissists end up with narcissists? Do you find it interesting that sometimes people who end up with narcissists don't even notice they were raised by narcissists until they end up with a narcissist? One of the things I hear most often from my clients is that whether they knew it before or they just realized it during our session, about 90% of them have at least one narcissistic parent or parent type person in their lives growing up. So why is this? Why does this happen? I think one of the most important things that we have to realize as we're starting this conversation is that as individuals, we are raised by who we're raised by. We experience all different things in our lives, right? We have little bits of information coming from our teachers, our friends, our parents, our siblings, everyone in the world around us. Not just the people, but also the situations we're dealing with. If we were raised in poverty, that's going to affect the way we think. If we were raised spoiled rotten and we never needed for a thing in the world, well, that's going to affect the way we think. If our parents were hippies, if our parents were lazy, if they were possessive or controlling, all of those things are going to become part of who we are. As we grow up, we develop the ability and in fact the right, and I think the responsibility, to choose who we want to be. But before we become aware, before we wake up and we know that we are quite literally, and even sometimes after we wake up and know that, we are quite literally the sum of our experiences. When you look at it from that perspective, we sort of, without even recognizing it, have a certain blueprint for ourselves that we become exactly what we 
are sort of raised to be. Now, when we have a narcissistic parent in that mix, it really throws us off. I don't know who needs to hear this, but hyper-independence is the result of trauma. I don't need anyone and I'll just do it myself really means my ability to trust has been injured by people systemically failing me and letting me down. You do need people. We all do. Listen again. So I see a lot of these people talking about, and I've even done videos, I'm not going to lie, about the attraction between narcissists and empaths or codependents or whatever. And I feel like, yes, absolutely, they do. Like you said, they come together. But I think narcissists aren't just going after codependents. I think codependents let narcissists stay around longer because of that human magnet syndrome. Um, one of the okay. things that sets me apart from most of my contemporaries talking about the subject is I hold SLDs or codependents responsible because, like because you cannot solve a problem if you share the responsibility, don't know it or in denial about it and want to just blame the perpetrator and just focus on your victim stance, yeah. which is why I completely do not support the term empaths. To understand the difference between empaths and codependents, first we need to define empathy and codependency. So let's start with empathy. What is empathy? There are three different types of empathy, cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. Emotional and compassionate empathy seem to be intrinsic for most people. And cognitive empathy can be learned. So an adult empath would be able to logically understand what a person feels. They would be emotionally affected by what they feel and also move to take action to help them deal with what they feel. Now let's talk about what codependency is. Codependency is when you are codependent or you're dependent on another person in unhealthy ways. It seems to be in most cases affected by some form of trauma that often occurs in childhood. It is considered a behavioral condition as it inhibits your ability to have a healthy and mutually satisfying relationship. A good synonym for codependency might actually be relationship addiction because codependents tend to be perpetually involved in relationships that are one-sided, emotionally destructive, and or abusive. Because it's a candy-coated term that makes it SLD or codependent feel good about themselves when in fact the SLDs have significant psychological problems, significant, mm. and without the resolution of that, they will always choose the narcissist and they will mm -hmm. over and over again, they will almost always stay with the narcissist despite the fact that they're not happy and they're being hurt. And then if they should leave or should be left, they will then choose another narcissist. So to understand self-love deficit disorder, codependency is a psychological disorder that is motivated through volition. Mm -hmm. And as long as people play the victim card, by the way, there's no excuse for, um, for abuse or anything like that. Don't get me wrong. But as right. long as they play the victim card and look to these videos on YouTube or these books that uh, demonize narcissists and glorify that the sacrificing poor SLD or codependent, no one gets better. And this is why you are in a, an SLD or codependent and you were hurt badly. And until you solve that trauma that happened when you were a child, you're going to play out that script for the rest of your life. Until you actually discover that there's such a thing as narcissism, you probably go around trying to fix yourself, don't you? Obviously, narcissists come in all shapes and sizes, race, culture, creed, religion. None of this is an issue. Nationality, what country they live in, how much money they make, across the board, narcissists come out, has nothing to do with any of that stuff, has to do with who they are as a person and often how they were raised. So for being honest, part of the reason that we end up with narcissists is because we are people pleasers. And when we have been raised by a narcissist, if we don't become a narcissist, we tend to become the opposite of that, 
a people pleaser. Whether or not they're openly abusive, our narcissistic parents taught us that their needs, their desires, their wants, their standards were more important than our own and we were required to somehow follow their rules. And if we didn't follow the rules and do what they wanted us to do, well then we were inherently bad or unacceptable or as always, not good enough. Sometimes we would end up becoming caregivers of our parents where we, instead of getting the love that they needed to give to us or should have given to us, we would watch them and make sure they were okay and we would, you know, take care of them, sort of almost like an extra parent. We would blame ourselves. We were consistently blaming ourselves and if our father was anxious and stressed out and yelled at the whole family, it must be our fault somehow. If our parents got divorced, sometimes we would blame ourselves for that because it was easier for us to imagine that it must somehow be our fault and that we could try to do something to fix ourselves and quite honestly in some situations our parents outright told us everything was our fault regardless of what your situation was chances are you became a people pleaser and that you believed you were not good enough and that you also sort of were chronically blaming yourself for every single thing that went wrong in your life and your family's life and in your desire to be loved as an individual person you were also always trying to figure out exactly what you could do to make your parent love you so maybe you thought, oh, if I was quieter, if I got better grades, if I took care of the dishes, if I did all the things I needed to do, if I did all the things that this person wants me to do, maybe I'll be good enough, maybe they'll finally love me. And when that never happened, you just were persistently looking for love. And whether you admitted it to yourself or not, it was a thing. Your inner child or your actual child should each be able to embrace certain understandings about him or herself. And these include the following. Number one, you are a real person who is whole, legitimate, and worth being heard. Number two, your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, your ideas, they are valid and worth discussing. Number three, you are loved unconditionally and you deserve to be safe, happy, healthy, and whole in your life. A side note on this one, being loved unconditionally as an adult is something that you can do for yourself, but you can't really expect from anyone else. So if you are the parent of the child that you're trying to help here, love that child unconditionally. If you are the person trying to reparent his or her inner child, start by loving yourself unconditionally. And finally, number four, your voice has power. Your voice has power. And you should use your voice to express yourself with love in the most effective way that you can. Don't stuff your emotions down. Deal with them. Express them to people who will listen and people who deserve to hear them. So if you want to change your life, if you want to stop feeling like you're dependent or like you're not good enough, you have to start with self-love. Oh, hold on. Give me your hands. Come on. Give me your hands. Hold them tight. Okay? Listen to me. who has ever made you feel like you are not good enough. Oh, hold on. Don't let go. Don't let go, baby. Okay? Listen, breathe in. Fuck everyone who has ever made you feel as though you are not good enough. You hear me? You feel that? You feel it? Close your eyes. Feel it. You feel my energy, baby? I said fuck everyone. You're. Don't that feel good? I said don't it feel good. Let's feel this together. 
one of the most important things we must remember on every single level is regardless of how you grew up, regardless of what your parents told you, regardless of what the narcissist told you, regardless of any of that stuff, here is the big important thing I need you to hear from today. You define yourself and it's time for you to know that. It took me a long time to learn that I could define myself. It took me a long time to recognize that not only was I good enough, not only was I smart enough, pretty enough, whatever enough, but I could choose to be whoever I wanted to be. It didn't matter if it wasn't acceptable to a narcissist. It didn't matter if my mother thought it was a bad idea or my brother thought it was a bad idea or anyone else in my life thought it was a bad idea. Only mattered that it made me happy and that it wasn't hurting anyone else in the world. It's all about finding what works for you, what feels good to you, and what makes your soul feel alive, what makes your heart sing. The thing that gets you going in the morning, or that could if you found that thing, it's all about loving yourself. Ultimately, it's all about loving yourself and you don't even really, I didn't even really know what that was until I managed to do it. So I want you to start today, right now, by dropping all of that old junk, all of those old perceptions, those voices in the back of your head that are telling you you're not good enough, that's not even you. That's somebody else's voice from the past echoing, all right? Let go of that stuff. Every time you hear yourself tell yourself, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not handsome enough, pretty enough, whatever, say no, that's not true. And focus on what you really do want. Focus on what you deserve. Focus on loving yourself and treating yourself in the same way that you would treat someone you love. Your child, your niece, your nephew, the, you know, the, the kid you mentored in high school, whatever. Whoever you would be kind to, treat yourself just like that. If you can imagine your child coming to you, let's say, if you had a child, and your child saying to you, hey mom or dad, this is exactly what I'm going through, and they explain to you exactly what you're dealing with in this moment, what would you advise them? Let's say you're going through a relationship with a narcissist and they're mentally, verbally, and otherwise abusing you. What would you say if your child came to you and said, hey, I'm being treated this way by this person who I love? What would you say to your child? Would you tell them, oh, just stick it out and stay, you're not worth it? Of course not. You would tell them to get their stuff together and, and get out of there and do what they need to do because they deserve better. Listen, you deserve better too. Please don't forget, you deserve better. This brings me to the question of the day. And the question of the day is, do you feel like you might be the child of a narcissist, the adult child of a narcissist? Do you think you might have been raised by or otherwise influenced by a narcissist in your childhood? Share your thoughts, share your ideas, share your experiences in the comment section below. And let's talk about it. I just want to tell you there's a free quiz over at queenbeing.com. I'll put the link in the description below. For those of you who aren't sure if you're dealing with a toxic mother, so go ahead and hit that link in the description if you want to and take that quiz. It's free. All you have to do is take it and it'll direct you to resources that might help you as well.